0: You do know that he's been accepted to Stanford on a full scholarship? I do. So he can do both?
1: Unfortunately, he can't do Stanford and professional baseball. He would have to pick one or the other. If he wants to be a center fielder for the New York Mets, if he wants to be a baseball player, he really needs to accept this as life's first occupation, really, first career. We're all told at some point
0: in time, Billy, that we can no longer play the children's game. We just don't don't know when that's going to be. Some of us are told at 18, some of us are told at 40, but we're all told. But this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We want you badly, and we think that this amount of money expresses that desire. Billy, this is your decision, and whatever that decision is, you know it's fine with your mother and I.
2: And we are back, but before we go into real talk, we are going to do a little bit of PP, patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. We're smack dab in the middle of March right now. That means that we may have already posted our quick video reviews for Pig on Alex's side and Titan on my side. If that hasn't happened, it's happening at some point this month. Uh, we'll also, before the end of the month, have uh, an exclusive Patreon episode uh, about the movie Aniara, which was selected, demanded by Patron Jordan Mance. We don't know anything about this movie. We haven't watched it yet. So who knows what we're getting into. Part three of our rock scene journey dealing with CM Punk the CM Punk side of it
0: now keep in mind that's going to be available to all listeners but our patrons get the exclusive commentary tracks as well as the WWE films retrospective for the month of March
2: yes yeah that will be the the CM Punk stuff is like a it's like a little sampler that goes out to everybody and exactly to hook you to get you in
0: but you yeah y'all patrons get to hear us discuss A fucking Vince McMahon-funded movie that starred Wesley Snipes that neither of us knew about. Shit like that is coming directly (laughs) y'all's way.
2: Um, And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. It's a spin-off show where we talk about other things that we've seen, that we've listened to, that we played. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time?
0: In a new development, my sister, uh, for those of y'all who don't know, my sister and I share a house, and uh, she bought a Nintendo Switch recently, and um, that's an interesting piece of hardware, but the game that she got, I convinced her to buy because I'd always heard so much about it, was this game called Cuphead, and I've been playing a lot of that, and uh, Cuphead is fucking awesome, and it's also unbelievably hard, Yep. so I will be explaining my uh, why I'm such a big fan of that game and just kind of the adventures that i've had with it thus far
2: did you know there's a netflix show based on cuphead
0: i mean we've got young singham or little singham on netflix too so (laughs)
2: yes that's the beauty of netflix just they'll throw everything and anything at the wall um alex uh before i tell you about my after hours contributions i need to mention that our patron channel is also the place where you can ask the questions that nobody else would ask or think to ask, such as, uh, what's the deal with Alex's Friday the 13th shirt that he was wearing on his uh, on his Jumanji QVR?
0: Oh, I don't even remember what that is. I guess uh, they
2: wanted to know. It might have been Ben who wanted to know, like, where'd you get that? How'd you get it? Can it still be gotten somewhere else? <laughs> Do they I'll, ship I'll to go- England? <laughs> I'll go
0: back and look at uh, which one it was, because I think I have a couple. Um, I have too many t-shirts. <laughs> as with most things, I have too many of. Uh, but yes, keep the hard-hitting questions coming.
2: That's that's the place to do it, on our Patreon channel. Anyway, for uh, my side of the after hours, uh, as I've been doing the past few episodes, the journey to the Oscars continues. Alex, I watched the movie Parallel Mothers. It's a new Pedro Almodovar movie, which got Penelope Cruz yet another nomination for Best Actress. It's an Almodovar movie, so it's in Spanish. Uh, so it's Penelope Cruz acting uh, in her uh, native language, which mm. I've always found a lot more interesting than the, whenever she gets a role in a standard Hollywood production because it feels like you know Hollywood casts her mostly for her looks whereas Almodovar cast her because she's a great actress. So uh, I'll be telling you a little bit about that movie. And then also, on the same field, nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, uh, The Lost Daughter, which is uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directing debut. And it got Olivia Colman a nomination for Best Actress. And then it got Jessie Buckley uh, a Best Supporting Actress nomination. They're both playing the same characters, just Jesse Buckley is the young version. Olivia Colman is the present-day version. Uh, Dakota Johnson is in it. Ed Harris is in it. Peter Sarsgaard is in it, Alex. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, I know. You didn't get much of him in The Guilty, but you get I you. was
0: fucking sold a bill of goods, man. I was told I was getting <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard, and I did not. <laughs>
2: Well, you, you do get to see him, and he has a magnificent beard in The, the Lost Daughter. So I'll be talking about those two. Uh, if any of that sounded interesting, go to patreon.com slash Prime. Look at our tiers, see at everything we're offering, see if any of it tickles your fancy and makes you want to be part of the Conturion Supplements. Go over there,
0: throw us a buck. Four games of Donkey Kong. <laughs> Give it a gander. Look it over. See what's there. See what you like. See what you don't. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you want more of. If there's something you don't like, let us know, hey, don't lean into that so hard. $1 will get you in on the uh, entry floor and you'll see what we have to offer. And eventually you'll have no choice but to give us more money because you're going to want to hear us talk about something uh, because that's where it goes down. That's where we really provide some of our most concentrated work. Uh, in terms of uh, film reviews and discussions. So, like I said, check it out. Let us know what you like. If you, if there's something you'd like to see more of, we are the Contrarians at gmail.com is the place to go. And to all of our current patrons, thank you so much. You know we got love for y'all. Y'all make the machine run, and we continue to do what we do for you, the adoring listening public.
2: Now, uh, even more important than our patron channel, uh, before we go into real talk, those of you who have been with us for a while uh, know that for the past, what, three years, we get to do something really cool once, once a year, and that is be part of the live stream for The Cure.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure.
2: Nick Haskins, the man organizing everything, obviously with a lot of help from his co-hosts uh, and other podcasters that that chip in. And we do our little part. we were part of the live stream for one segment every year. In the past, we've covered such movies as uh, Sliver and Basic Instinct 2 and uh, The Happening we did last year. And we've always had a good time. You you get kind of like a, a an abbreviated version of the show. For just an hour who
0: has a good time i've had to watch those movies
2: <laughs> the audience has a good time and know, the, the people kid, there uh we we've raised a decent amount of money i think that we we, we yeah do it's okay. really cool to be a part of yeah last year alex did something that i don't know if he's gonna do again but he was he was taking tequila shots every time somebody donated seven dollars which mm-hmm. you paid for that later that night i but, slept well <laughs> yes um this year, we're still in the process of uh, designing what our segment is going to be like. It's going to be a little different this year. If you are a patron, you will get a behind-the-scenes short look at uh, our discussions, our pre-planning for uh, for the live stream for the Cure, but just mark your calendars. Our segment is on the 21st of May, May 21st, 4 p.m. Central Time, so if you're... One of our Texas listeners, which we seem to have uh, a fair amount, which makes sense because we're <laughs> we're in Austin, uh, 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Uh, that's it. The live stream, whenever they post their schedules, they're running on Eastern Standard Time. So you'll see us there at 5 p.m. All of you international listeners, uh, Google is your friend. Just go... <laughs> just go 4 p.m. Central time and see how that uh, translates to your time and just make sure you block out an hour so you can get online and just be there live as we uh, we do our thing you can donate or even if you don't donate even if you just participate and are there on the chat while we're doing our, our live stream that that helps a lot that gets us pumped while we're uh, live streaming so stay tuned for more details but uh, if, if you've had fun before expect more of the same if you've never attended live stream before uh it's a blast so so plan on doing so please uh it's and a very for a good loosey-goosey
0: toss. format just because of yeah it's the live stream and uh want to be sure to celebrate any and all donations that come in so it's uh we try to get in our discussions when we can but the the more loose format uh lends itself to some improvisation and some good times to be had
2: Yeah, and it's all for good cause, which really gets everybody on on the same page, Uh, very enthusiastic. You're raising money for cancer research. So I can't think of a cause that is uh, more worthy of our time, at least not on that weekend. (laughs) So that's the live stream. Like I said, stay tuned for details.
0: Yeah, be sure to check it out. We appreciate all of y'all's support and uh, just appreciate you in general. Uh, which cannot be said for Bennett Miller's general feelings towards your intelligence uh, when it comes to the subject of baseball. <laughs> and the story of Billy Bean.
2: Is this movie more insulting if you are a baseball fan or if you are not a baseball fan?
0: I mean, I was hamming it up con- a little bit in the first half. It,
2: it's <laughs> it's not insulting. Um, uh, irritating? I, I think that's probably it. Uh...
0: The thing is, it's a pretty good movie. And having just watched *I Tanya, it's nowhere near as insulting or infuriating as that movie is, in the sense of like it wanting you to feel sorry for Tanya Harding, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't. <laughs> it, for the, I'm sorry, I know I just blew some of our discussion from our, our one of our patron uh, episodes, but yeah, that movie is infuriating. Um, whereas this is there's a lot of good to it. For example, coming from the Wikipedia page, in regard to the film's accuracy, Dave Hangland of Slate and Jonah Carey of Grantland criticized the film and book for excluding the pitchers Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder, and Barry Zito and position players such as Eric Chavez and Miguel uh, Tejeda. These players were discovered via traditional scouting methods and were key contributors to the success of the 2002 Athletics. Former Oakland A's manager Art Howe, has spoken publicly about his disapproval of his portrayal in an interview on SiriusXM. It's very disappointing to know that you spent seven years in an organization and gave your heart and soul and helped them go to a postseason your last three years and win over 100 games your last two seasons, and this is the way evidently your boss, brackets Bean, feels about you. Howe also said producers of Miller's version of the film didn't contact him to consult on his portrayal. Haddeberg also said that Howe was portrayed inaccurately, saying, Art Howe was a huge supporter of mine. I never got the impression from him that I was not his first choice. He mentioned Howe and Bean had tur- a turbulent relationship. The San Francisco Chronicle made note of several inaccuracies in the film, notably that players such as Giambi and Bradford had already joined the team before the time period of the film, and that the Giambi and Pena trades did not occur at the same time. So. That's like some hair splitting, not necessarily a portrayal of Art Howe. The things there, that's all fair game, in my opinion, when it comes to taking some liberties with making a film. Yeah. I just don't like the idea that someone could watch this movie and think that that system is how you succeed in baseball because it's part of it, but it's not, there's intangibles. It's like the whole thing. uh, But I think
2: the movie makes that point.
0: I can statistically tell you how to beat Tyson Fury. Uh, that doesn't mean you're going to beat him. So yeah. I know the movie doesn't really go to stress that, but it does.
2: I think it contradicts itself. I I, I mean, I see what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Like I said, the, the part that insinu- insinuates that that is the reason the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004 is... That's probably more insulting than kind of the <laughs> other things outlined in it. Because... Even if that's the case, the they're a fucking dynasty that has a lot more money than the Oakland A's and could put together a much better team. But it's, you know, all sports are that way. You can't, you can use an algorithm to determine what's statistically likely. But uh, even like when they're talking about like pitchers, righties, lefties, that type of shit, that's, there's some things you just got to call on the fly, man. It's just the way it is. It's the nature of the beast. And I know that. On both sides of the argument, there I could see people being troubled by that of like, no, if you use my system, it works this way. And then on the other side you'd be like, you can't use this system to to determine it. That's like the scene where Grady and Billy are fighting. I'm like, You're both making valid points. Just <laughs> stop being <laughs> fucking uh bitter white men and just realize that you guys have some common ground here.
2: They just needed uh uh Jota Hill to walk up there and like, only the Sith speak in absolutes. <laughs>
0: I did love him calling him Google boy. Like I said, I never caught that before. This is probably my fourth or fifth time seeing this movie, but uh, no, I mean, I, I was hamming it up. It's not an insulting sports movie in the way like, like the fight scenes in Rocky are insulting to anyone who's ever like, <laughs> uh, watched a real professional prize fight or, um, you know, th- there's a place in movies and it's most of them for over the top sports stories and shit like that. And with this, I think it was just the baseline, the based on a true story. And, in any t- and to be fair, this isn't me picking on Moneyball. That's any fucking movie that says based on a true story. You got to take that with a massive mm-hmm. you know, spoonful of salt. And um, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on a true story, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And in this case, I get what you're doing, why you're doing it. It's just kind of the thing of it doesn't go far enough to be offensive, but I just wouldn't want anyone to get like the wrong opinion of something and the wrong idea whereas like i said i tanya someone who has no knowledge of that shit watching that i would hate the idea that anyone walked away from that feeling sorry for the the real tanya harding today because that movie i feel walks kind of a dangerous line of almost portraying her as a victim which is absolutely asinine that's a lot different than a movie like this that calls out a season that still historically is accurate about like the games they won and lost, but just kind of maybe puts a little bit more shine and makes some aspects of it look a little bit better than they actually were. Um, the majority of my deriding in the first portion was coming from a place of hamming up the contrarian gimmick.
2: <laughs> do you think this movie is meant to make you feel sad for Brett Pitt though? For Billy Bean?
0: I do not know. Uh, that's, it's been a while since I've seen this and I, Okay, so how truthful were you when we were going back and forth about his stuff with his family and his daughter? Because that was pretty close to how I feel about like it doesn't feel like that shit belongs in this movie.
2: Um, I was I was having it up a little bit, but I was making points that I kind of believe. The thing with the daughter, like I can see how it could work, but it just doesn't. And uh, and I think that we can we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, let me read the quotes first because. Uh, they make some points. <laughs> yeah, this
0: was one of those movies it felt like from that run in 2011 that no one was really talking trash about. So who had the bravery to stand up to Bennett Miller?
2: Uh, well, for starters, Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online says, Like a long, boring game of chess where hopeful baseball players are discarded as effortlessly as a pawn and night, Moneyball fails to provide the sentiment it needs to inspire audiences.
0: She couldn't even Google the positions for baseball players.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I thought that the 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 kind of the cold bloodedness of the the baseball players those those poor hopeful baseball players that are getting traded and cut and all. I thought that was cool. Actually, I, I yes. don't know if it's accurate, but in the movie, I, I thought that that added kind of this this element. It gave an edge to the whole thing, right? It's a every now and then you got a reminder that these were people <laughs> they're not it, it's actually the opposite of what she's saying like it's not a long boring game of chess because the the pieces in this game have lives can and change so. so
0: well they can also change so rapidly
2: yeah yeah so there's a. Uh, they're very to real fair, consequences
0: chess can change very rapidly and if you've ever watched an exciting game of chess you know it's not boring so right her, right uh, but her whole review is just irrelevant <laughs>
2: Yeah, but whenever, like, a pawn gets taken, I'm not like, oh, shit, they just moved their entire family to Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, it's just I like, do oh.
0: appreciate that aspect of the movie where it does show it's sports, man. And that's that's how business should be. I understand you develop relationships and get close with people. That's fine. But how companies and businesses like that should be run is everyone treating everyone like a fucking adult. Uh, but that also means things can be terse and just kind of like, hey, man, this is what it is. Uh, You gotta go The only part that I was like god damn Brad Lighten up is that dude who's like listen I can't have 26 guys changing here in the clubhouse And uh, I love too Brad Fires Giambi and He's just yep. sitting there so Brad Pitt just like Stands up and like almost like motions <laughs> for him To leave
2: Yeah, He's <laughs> like I need to take that chair So get out of here
0: <laughs> Man Brad's dick is just out that whole scene Man he's just like what are you gonna Do about this <laughs> yes I found like you said Um, I found that portrayal of it to be uh just and also not necessarily adds excitement but it adds a sense of realism and I think application to it because some people that's a way that some people could find themselves invested in the movie even if they're not into the baseball aspect of it just kind of like the the business side of it and the the human side of it too where (laughs) Jonah Hill has to let that one guy go Mm -hmm. and when he he leaves how jonah hill just like you could tell he was holding his breath and he's just like <laughs> okay that's like one of the more innocent and like probably one of his better scenes in it is that one
2: yeah yeah uh but i think that there's also uh that whole subplot or the, the side of the movie where we're talking we're dealing with just the players as human beings and brad pitt's initial reluctance to become involved with them because he's like oh i don't even go see the games and i don't really interact with them because that makes it easier whenever i have to trade them and all that stuff you know i i feel like the movie doesn't quite get all the way there but part of the story is him changing and and that's why you you see him become a lot more hands-on in the they're training in a way, right? He becomes, he's just in the locker room all the time and calling everybody by name and joking around with them and all this stuff. So he becomes more involved. He, he, he breaks his own rule in a way. And I don't know if, uh, what we're supposed to take away at the end is that that's also part of the reason why he stays. It's Uh just that in the end it's his team, you know, and he got emotionally involved and that's why he doesn't leave them. Even when he's offered a buttload of money to go with the red Sox. it was like, I think that I could kind of, like, stretch everything that happens in the movie to read the ending that way, but the movie doesn't really help me a whole lot at the very end to get to get there. So, I don't know. I, I think there's there's something there. Uh, Martin, Martin Sai from Critics Notebook says, Moneyball ultimately leaves you with goosebumps all over, except not the good kind you get from a rousing crowd pleaser. So what kind of goosebumps did Martin get?
0: Yeah, that's... Might want to get that checked out, brother.
2: <laughs> uh, Matt Pace from Red Eye says baseball teams have more than three players on them, and I thought of this when you were listing like the the comments, uh, the the criticisms, and people were like, "Oh, well, why wasn't this player featured? Why wasn't this player featured?" I'm like, "Well, you can't realistically spotlight you know the entire team, every single person that was part of the season." And it sounds like this guy is complaining about the fact that oh well this movie reduces it all to Chris Pratt uh was it the older guy
0: uh David Justice
2: yeah David Justice and uh they have like maybe one other player that's kind of on, of note well that's that's what you have to do it's like sometimes you got to cut Rizzo out because you know you have to give Walter some screen time it's just uh... <laughs> sick reference
0: it, it's a movie dude that's the point
2: yeah uh- that's, that's just how an adaptation works. And then finally, Eleanor Ringel Cater from uh, Supporter Report Atlanta says, the stats don't add up. And uh, I was wondering if that was a reference or direct uh, criticism to the fact that uh, the numbers in the movie are made up, which I wouldn't know. But you had mentioned, uh, as we were closing the semi-pro recording, that Moneyball fudged around with the facts. So, you know, like, are they... Fudging around with the with the data that they present, or is that accurate? And it's just in the way that they're interpreting it that it's kind of weird.
0: It's more the idea. Uh, as far as like the actual, I didn't take the time to screen cap and pause when they were doing like the spreadsheets and shit. But um, it's just more of the idea that it's like this lost concept that no one's using or exposing. And to the credit of like Bill James and Billy Bean and you know the system, it's something that a lot of teams, to my knowledge, integrate. But it's still, you can't just get rid of the scouting process as it was. So my thing of fudging the data was more of less just the representation of this being the way, and if you you don't like it, you're just an old fart, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. He does uh, give the awesome line, though, from the owner of the Red Sox when he says, the first guy through the gate always gets bloody. I mm-hmm. love that line.
2: Yeah. I think that uh, one of the issues I have with the movie, and actually, I like it, but the, it's good.
0: It's good. Uh, yeah, let's. Yeah, yeah. Was that the final review?
2: Yeah, that was the final review. Okay, um, so yeah,
0: we we can start by saying we both like this movie.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I was really into it uh, through most of it, and then kind of like from what I remember, like the first time I watched it, it the, the ending was it just I just it left me uncertain, and it's not just the the thing with the daughter, which I I do think is weird. That going back to what you asked me, his family life. Without being as harsh on those sequences as we were in Contreras' Corner, I still feel like they are a little disconnected. It's like what we said, like, it, that's not the movie. The little girl wondering if he's going to have a job still, that little bit of drama, it seems like it belongs somewhere else. I mean, the fear of him losing his job is very real and very relevant to the story of the movie's telling, but... His daughter asking him if he's going to lose his job doesn't feel like it. I don't feel like the the relationship with his daughter or the relationship with his ex really drives any of his decisions. And if I was supposed to pick up on that, then the movie doesn't really do a good job of directing me that way. You know, like, do you think he decides to stay in Oakland because of his daughter? I don't because know. I, I, I don't I feel that maybe that's...
0: The- <laughs> I fucking hate the end of this movie.
2: <laughs> uh, what do you hate exactly? Do you hate just the the aesthetics of that final sequence of him driving with the song playing and uh, his daughter singing on the on TV? Everything.
0: Everything about it. This movie has a perfect ending when Jonah Hill says it's a metaphor. And he says, I know it's a metaphor. And he looks around the office and he gets up and he puts his hands on his hips and he looks at Jonah Hill and he says, Pete, you're a good egg. I'll call you. And then he walks out the door. Yep. Right there. The the shot stays static on the door frame. Cut to black. Title cards. <laughs> he turned down the offer. Red Sox won the World Series. Directed by Bennett Miller. Anything that people have told me or i have read that that scene's trying to say that he's, he's just missing what's in front of him, literally was just said the scene before it. Yep. And then on top of that, the girl already sang this song. It's not fucking... What's a movie where a, so- uh, like a song keeps coming up over and over again? I'm trying to think of something it's that like together again. Yeah, just <laughs> like
2: can't get the Muppets out of my head. Hang on, I'm sure there's another one. Well, um, even
0: from like a score perspective, there's plenty of movies. You, you know, Nolan is famous for this. Of like the the opening overture. You have to kind of get into your subconscious because it's going to come back up over during relevant parts of the movie you're going to watch. That song isn't introduced until we meet the daughter for the first time, and then she just plays it again. And she's a 12 year old who knows one song. I've been there before. I knew fucking uh, <laughs> Molly's Lips by Nirvana on guitar when I was 15. That's like the only song I knew how to play. I just, I don't get it. And then. Oh, the you know extreme- what?
2: Actually, yeah, be- you're right, because this would hit at least a little harder or better if she hadn't sang before right he he asked her to sing and she's like no it feels weird then she doesn't sing and so you finally get to hear her sing at the end and then i can see how that would at least feel special
0: (laughs) maybe but and then okay so here's here's the damn deal director bennett miller was so impressed by Karis dorsey when she sang the show by linka during her audition that not only he cast her as the protagonist's daughter, but let her sing the 2008 song twice in the movie, which was set Jesus. in 2002, sacrificing the authenticity uh, the, historically. So the whole thing is this is just something he liked, so he just shoehorned it into the movie with no real regard for story or anything.
2: <laughs> now, if I liked the fact that this song is there, this would be just a really cool piece of trivia. But because I don't like it, <laughs> it just makes it Yeah, worse. exactly.
0: And of course, for anyone who's like listening to this never listened it before we realize we're in the minority here and we're wrong because Bennett Miller is a millionaire and we're doing this but like <laughs> the whole point is we're explaining why we do and don't like things from this movie and it's just it makes no sense and then the only other time in the movie we've seen like a shot like this is that one of him driving was like what the hell am I doing and then like this extreme close-up of his eyes welling up with tears and like his hands for some reason the docks uh, like the freighters are going in and out of focus in the background mm-hmm. It's the type of shit you would see in like, you know, a college student's movie just to show off the things he can do at the end of it. And we joke about this a lot because I don't like movies that are long. You know, there's nothing worse than watching something that nailed the ending and then just keeps going. A lot of times you can get past that if the ending's better or some shit.
2: But with this, it's just there's no purpose to it at all. Much like there's Well, here's here's my theory, Alex, because as you were talking about it, and I remember thinking something about it's supposed to be a sad ending like a tragic ending and so if you end it the way you want it after he's talked to jonah hill it's kind of i wouldn't say uplifting but it ends on a high right like he he saw the light after jonah hill kind of pointed out what was happening with his metaphor and then he walks away and that's it but when you put the scene with the daughter or with the daughter singing at the end and him driving and tearing up and all that stuff then you see that this guy is still lost. Or at least, you know, you could read it as that. Like, oh, man, after everything, he's still lost. And then the the last title card, doesn't it say something like, uh, he's still trying to win that last game? Yes. You know? So it's like, he's lost in his obsession. He's still... <laughs> it's the movie is not about him finally like seeing the light and you know seeing the forest for the trees or whatever you know the the movie's about his inability <laughs> despite Jonah Hill giving him the metaphor and despite his daughter singing a very on the nose song about it he still cannot get out of his own head and just enjoy life and so he decides to stick with a losing team and instead of taking the money and all that stuff so if if it's meant to be a bit of a tragic ending then, even though I don't feel it, I can maybe see the rationale behind everything that happens in those last five minutes or so. I still don't like it, and I think that you could have made that point in a better way. But
0: but then it brings the whole thing with the family brings into the discussion. Are you trying to make a sports movie? Or are you trying to make a sports movie that has things that are accessible for audiences that don't care about sports movies? The scene with Spike Jones and Robin Wright's cool because it's like, hey, it's Robin Wright and Spike Jones. they <laughs> they're dressed like total assholes. And uh <laughs> I do like the part where he's like, uh she has a phone, a twelve year old <laughs> and Spike Jones is like, if we you know, we can discuss it and he just cuts him off. He's like, Her mother and I will discuss it. I was like him!" <laughs> <"Get 'em." laughs> but it's you know, it's this movie of like when it's focused, it's really good. The problem is there's a lot of like wondering. There's a lot of like I don't know, and far be it for me to criticize Sorkin and shit. It's just, this movie, to me, feels like, focus, 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 focus. Ooh, it'd be cool if we did this. And then, like, kind of, you write a few pages of something, and then you come back and just stack it on top of what you already had, and then go back to the focus of it all. (laughs) Because it it just, when it's good, it's really good, and when it's not good, I just, like, would rather be doing anything else.
2: (laughs) I think that that's... Kinda of like what I sang in Trans Corner, I, I don't think that they putting together the two powerhouses of Zalian and Sorkin, I don't think it gave us a powerhouse screenplay. It's weird because if I looked if, if I read the credits correctly, it sounds like they really like work together as Yeah. As and a there's team. some
0: great scenes, but like just like you said, this doesn't feel like the iconic screenplay that it should be.
2: But there's so much, and I, and I actually we talked a little bit about this when I, in one of the patron after hours when uh, I was telling you about being the Ricardos and just the fact that there's uh oh know, that was Aaron
0: Sorkin wasn't it yeah
2: yeah yeah and so Sorkin has this thing where he he'll like you know write stories you know based in real life and and he will be pretty liberal with what happens with the plot but more often than not he manages to capture the spirit of what happened in real life so it's like this quote from uh, one of the characters the real people that were represented in uh steve jobs you know which was written by sorkin directed by uh danny boyle jai ho yes uh the guy said you know he watched the movie and he was like none of that happened but all of it is true and i'm like that nailed it you know it's like if it feels like it's the, like the spirit is true to what happened in real life, then you're more willing to forgive, like the, the rearranging of facts or whatever. And so, uh-huh. I think it's all about like what is this in service of, right? And, and, and in this case, when I found myself most fascinated, you know, by the movie was when it was either dealing with Brad Pitt with with Billy Bean as this guy that had been promised success and then had to find a way to cope with not getting it. You know, he gets recruited when he's young and told that he's going to be a superstar, that he has what it takes to be a superstar. And then he fails, at least going by what the movie shows you. he He's just a complete failure. He crashes and burns. And to see how that person grows up to be the character that, you know, Brad Pitt's playing in, in present day and how seeing that all his decisions, everything that he does in present day is him still dealing with that failure. Like, I, I found that really good. Like, I, like, I think I said in the first corner, like, I don't need anything else to, to really care yes. for this guy. I don't need his family. I don't need his daughter. I mean, this is enough. You know, just show me this drama. And then on on a, 100%. On, on a separate level, the ideology conflict of, like, the stats versus just the, the intangible experience of scouts. Like that was also really good. And I think I wrote it at some point in my notes on so like it isn't science. <laughs> you know like sports are not science. You can use science to kind of like figure some stuff out, but I I felt that the movie made a point it it, it you know as it told the story of proving the scouts right, saying, you know when yes. uh, when uh Chris Pratt hits that home run, that is a statement that says for all the stats that Jonah Hill collected <laughs> did way to go google boy yeah the unexpected happened and it not it's not even that the unexpected happened and they lost the unexpected happened and they won which basically means like nobody knows anything <laughs> you know it's it, it it's uh when people kind of like try to figure out why a movie bombed or why a movie succeeded and then when you boil down to it there's a lot of it that just has to do with like luck like intangibility yep. you know it's like release it a week later i could have made a lot of money so that i i really liked and and that's why i it bothers me that even though it has that scene there that i think very clearly uh, pushes back against the idea of stats then the movie goes on to kind of try to sell you that no the stats were still the way to go like forget about whether it's uh, an accurate representation of what happened, you know, I, whether the Red Sox won because they embraced Moneyball or not, the movie was telling me just a couple scenes ago that Moneyball actually doesn't, it's not the recipe for success. And then at the very end, it changes its mind again. And is trying to tell me, well, no, actually it it was a very important thing. And that's why the Red Sox (laughs) won the championship. That part is just, baffling to me like that there is such a disconnect between like what the movie's trying to say and what the movie actually says. And that is, you know, you have two really good screenwriters <laughs> working on this thing. That's that's really like to me the the biggest uh, problem. Even more so I think that the the daughter singing. Like the daughter singing just <laughs> makes me cringe. Uh and I have to once again be- Clarify, it's not the performance; it's just the no. the manipulation, the the, the yes. transparent manipulation <laughs> that that fails. But then the on a more intellectual level, just the the whole like, what is the movie trying to say? Then that's what what bothers me. And then I guess on a on a smaller scale, I do believe that they they're missing a beat with uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character. They set him up as being very much against this and. I didn't read that that final moment when he puts Chris Pratt in like I didn't think that that was enough to you know I needed him to talk to somebody either Brad Pitt or Jonah Hill and go like okay I can see what you were going for at least yeah <laughs> but he never gets that moment and it's just such a waste of a a really good actor playing a really strong character that goes almost anywhere or almost nowhere
0: yeah it just overall the the art character is not flushed out at all. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's awesome in the scenes that he does have. It just feels like he could have gotten more from it. Um, I agree with the things you were saying. I, what I would have wanted from this movie to make it more in line with like me being like, fuck yeah, stamp of approval is a movie that kind of meshes his rise and abrupt crash, like prolonged crash over a decade. Uh, That meshes his, you know, meteoric rise and then prolonged crash over that decade until he wound up with the A's with him trying to, you know, make it right. I'm sorry, you don't need to involve this whole family side plot in this. If we're just, what this is at the end of the day is a sports movie. So the story you're trying to tell is this man's tale of redemption. I understand the family dynamic is an easier tool to access certain members of your audience's emotions. And in some cases, like you said, just manipulate them for the story you're trying to tell. Um, but the shit of things going wrong in his younger career paralleling what's going on now that he's older and wiser is a lot more interesting to me. And that's just, again, for this specific movie and the parts it has, that's how it could have made it more interesting to me. Um, But also
2: has that, that really powerful scene where he's arguing with Grady and he calls him out. He basically denounces what scouts do in a way, what, what they did to him. Right. He says, he says, you go out there and you tell them that you can tell that they have what it takes and you know for sure. But I know that you don't know for sure. So you're going out there and you're lying to them, which is you know what happened to him, what happened to Billy Bean. And that point doesn't really get explored anymore in the movie. And I kind of wanted them to because if if Moneyball as a system is also a way to offer redemption or you know give opportunities to people that are not getting picked because not everybody can be a superstar, that is really cool but we never get to see that angle of it you know it's just more about the controversy about it but we never I, I really wanted to or at least i would have liked to see more of the 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 human repercussions in a good way of just the people that are getting picked I And mean, we get a little bit of it you know like uh i really like the moment after they have the interview with chris pratt and then brad pitt and jonah hill no not jonah hill brad pitt and uh wash the uh, washington you know the yeah. the trainer like they leave the house and then Chris Pratt just stands up and goes and hugs his wife and you can tell like this guy's life just changed like he got a second lease in life you know yeah. and and that doesn't really go through you know it's just mostly on the setup of the movie but then as as the movie goes on that element kind of falls away and it is replaced by other things that are not as interesting
0: yeah i mean that's kind of the story of this uh, it's a 2 hour and 20 minute movie and it's uh yeah the person i watched it with was really engrossed in some of these aspects of it and she was having fun so i wasn't gonna be like "Ah, i don't like this part of it um (laughs) (laughs) so it clearly
2: actually the real red (laughs) socks
0: no not that part of it like the shit with the daughter and stuff like that um i'm not gonna fucking will actually a girl i'm romantically interested in (laughs) yet you wait for like The seven-year edge for that shit to kick in. (laughs) So my point with that, bringing that up, is that it clearly worked for its audiences. uh, And, you know, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Just me watching this with its runtime, with the material that's in there, I just... There's parts of it that I was just like, you just don't need this, man. You could make this shit over here seem more impactful if you didn't have this shit kind of muddying the waters. I did... I I, I looked really sharp, too, because... I've, my whole life since my childhood, I've just always known them as the Oakland A's, and so I was like on the spot, She's like, "What does the A stand for?" I was like, uh, "I guess I'm not sure." And then, you know, they showed the side of the building, athletics. I was like, "Oh yeah, the athletics, of course." <laughs> uh, so, Brad Pitt is excellent in this. My qualms about the movie aside, it's a very, very Brad Pitt reading of the like the role mm-hmm. and his performance in it. But he's just so effortless, man. He's one of the only cool people we have left, man. And by that, I mean white people. We got like fucking, and now that Scott Hall is gone, rest his soul. We got like Kevin Nash, Brad Pitt, Justin Timberlake. There's not many cool white men left in the world. A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? You. Yep. So bringing up Brad Pitt, I mean, it's as good a time as any to recount the uh, Oscar nominations that this received. Being Best Picture. Best Actor for Brad Pitt, Best Supporting Actor for Jonah Hill, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Mixing.
2: Didn't win anything, huh?
0: It did not. Hugo won Best Sound Mixing, beating out uh, Moneyball. Best Adapted Screenplay went to The Descendants, which I'm okay with because Nate Faxton and Jim Rash being Academy Award winners is fucking dope. (laughs) One of the most readily available punchlines for The Contrarians was birthed. Uh, when Christopher Plummer won best supporting actor <laughs> and, um, best picture of course, went to the fucking artist as well as best actor for Jean Dujardin, who went on to just have a stellar career after that
2: in France. That's the thing. That's why we, we are not as familiar with it. We need to expand that. Our- oh, fuck off. <laughs>
0: Again, it's one of those things that we've talked about before. I know why that movie dominated one so much, but to me, it's just laughable.
2: And uh, so, wait, wait. I'm trying to remember what was what was Plummer's supporting actor for Beginners. Oh man, I can't be mad at that because I was going to say no. I mean, here's the thing i I really like Jonah Hill in this movie. He's very good. I I wouldn't. I can't say like objectively. I can't say that he deserved the Oscar more than. Plumber did, like I've watched beginners and he's really good in it. Uh-huh. It's just that Jonah Hill has that the performance from Jonah Hill in this movie, and I was wrestling with this. I was watching it I was, it's it's just it's so unlike anything I've seen from him that I was like, do I like it because it's good or do I like it because it's just so different from you know the standard Jonah Hill?
0: He's so reserved mm-hmm. and like that scene I talked to you about where he fires the guy or cuts the guy uh, is good, but also the part where he, his first day at the office. Peter Brand. Billy. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) Nice to see you. Good to have you here. Were you moving fast?
2: Yeah, yeah, I got here early this morning. Wow. Huh. All moved in. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Billy.
1: I wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do.
0: I asked you to do three. Yeah. To evaluate three players? Yeah. How many did you do?
2: 47. Okay. Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then.
0: (laughs) Yes. It's this moment. It's just really good. And I know, like, all the awards clips and shit was that scene of him during trade day. Mm -hmm. And that's fine, but I feel like there's just so many other strong moments he has in it. The scene with him and the gentleman who plays David Justice just their back and forth on that flight is really good and, and how come soda is a dollar in the clubhouse
1: i never seen nothing like that Billy likes to keep the money on the field soda money really where on the field is the dollar I'm paying for soda it's hard to see exactly but It's there. It is hard to see.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, you and I are both fairly outspoken about the Wolf of Wall Street, and his performance in that is just like Jonah Hill bullshit turned up, you know, the, the cliche stuff turned up to 11. It's just, it happens to be in a Scorsese film. This, it feels different. And, you know, we joke about serious actor Jonah Hill. It's just clearly something he took very seriously, and he, he like delivers anytime he's given the ball in this movie and asked to, like, do something, it works really well. Even he doesn't like get really hyper animated or emotional nope. at any point, but like the when Billy comes in and starts cutting people and trading people away, he's like, What are you doing? And he's mm-hmm. like, I feel very strongly that you're making a mistake <laughs> or something like that. It's really good. Penny's going too.
1: I don't think you should do that. I really don't think you should do that.
0: I want Haddleberg in the lineup
1: tonight. Billy, I think you need to take a minute. I think you seriously need to just think about what you're doing because you're upset. Okay. What am I missing? These are hard moves to explain to people. Why is that a problem, Pete? Don't make an emotional decision, Billy.
2: Yeah, I felt... I I think that's why I appreciate so much about it, that he never goes, or at least I didn't think he ever went to any of his standard tricks. You know, he never went to the... To the box tricks that I think he he brings around to most of his performances, uh, even when he was asked to be funny in this movie, he found a very different way of being funny, just a lot more low key. So it's it's almost unrecognizable, except that he very much looks like Jonah Hill. <laughs> yeah, he didn't go the extra step of transforming himself physically, but other than that, I mean, he's just almost like a completely new actor, and I find that so exciting and. I don't know. I just I just feel that over the years I've gotten tired of the Jonah Hill persona, not him as a as a person, but the persona that he brings to the movies. You know, it's like oh, I know what he's gonna be like. I know exactly the kind of energy he's gonna bring, and you know, all the movies that I've seen him in, I'm pretty sure that uh, I felt that he was just playing a variation of his super bad character, you know? It's just, was it War Dogs, the one that you brought up <laughs> in Katrina's uh,
0: I've never actually seen War Dogs before. But it's the
2: same thing. Like, if I tell you, oh, is Jonah Hill playing an arms dealer? You know exactly what you're getting, you know? Uh The sitter, oh, is Jonah Hill playing a babysitter? You know exactly what you're getting. But I can't describe Moneyball that way, you know? i be like, oh, so Jonah Hill, you know Jonah Hill? Okay, he's nothing like Jonah Hill in this one. He plays just like, a really smart guy that's kind of quiet and then throughout the movie learns to be a little more outspoken. It is, that's the other part that's really cool that you kind of see him grow through his relationship with Brad Pitt, that he, uh, he becomes a little more confident and he learns about the business and he seems truly happy and appreciative to be learning some things. But at the same time, he's able to take a step back and be critical of Brad Pitt when he doesn't agree with the things that he's doing. It's a fantastic performance. I, I, I knew I liked it just that was my main memory from Moneyball thinking that Jonah Hill had knocked it out of the park and then watching it again today it it was the same it was just uh, my favorite aspect of the movie
0: yeah I mean that, uh, everything you said about Jonah Hill is correct it's an interesting performance because of that and I'm sure he'll have other great performances but this will all be the, always be the first one that it was like serious Jonah Hill and still to this day like at least the guys like you and me the his best one Yes, it was nominated for Best Picture alongside the eventual winner. The Artist, The Descendants, Extremely Loud, and Incredibly Close, The Help, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, The Tree of Life, and Warhorse. Horse. What oh, wow. a fucking weird lineup. <laughs> Have you seen Warhorse? I watched some of it, and it was <laughs> more like Borafil. Uh, uh, I, I haven't seen it. I, yeah, that extremely loud and incredibly close the fact that that got a best picture nomination is still incredibly troubling to me Um <laughs> what
2: because it's a 9-11 movie
0: it's well it's just not a good movie oh
2: come on alex i will fight you on that
0: no i know you will we we went through this before <laughs> um the help is okay um i've never seen hugo tree of life solid i'm not as crazy about it as you are so i would probably midnight in paris is my favorite movie of that lineup and then Moneyball or tree of life would probably be neck and neck for number two and then the descendants and then the rest of them i'm probably never going to see again in my life the real tragedy and (laughs) what the 2012 academy awards will always be remembered for is not the artist sweeping hugo will won the most actually it won 11 but it was all the technical shit but the the real thing that will go down in history is the the line in the sand that was drawn that year was the best sound editing category, Julio. Uh, in a situation, the only situation on that night, February 26th of 2012, in which the Academy had to rightfully hand over an Oscar to, to the film Drive. <laughs> <laughs> they gave it instead to Hugo. The... Uh, the o- the only Academy Award that Drive was nominated for was Best Sound Editing. Uh, it was up against the eventual winner, Hugo, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, and <laughs> War Horse. So there you go.
2: It was the underdog.
0: All right, getting back to Moneyball here as we look towards the finish line. As we look towards home plate, we're being told to bring it in. I do you have the poster for this movie, the teaser poster, which I fucking love. And it's um it's just like a shot of the field and then I uh, I think you I think Brad Pitt's walking on it, but it's like an overhead shot so he's really small. And then it just says Brad Pitt Moneyball and then below it Jonah Hill and Philip Seymour Hoffman. The the theatrical one that came out was that one that you you can probably think of if you picture it as like brad pitt sitting in the stands looking over his shoulder it's just way more like hotness in your face type thing Um, (laughs) smolder smolder we did not mention its release date of september 23rd in 2011 a budget of 50 million dollars with a box office return of around 110 million so i mean it did its part it got its nominations it's uh made a lot of money it's a movie people still talk about Um, I know you're not a fan of this is the end, but there's like two or three bits in that movie that I think are brilliant. And one of them is when Jonah Hill prays and he, you know, puts his hands, he folds them in prayer and says, dear God, it's Jonah Hill from Moneyball. (laughs) And that's fucking hilarious.
2: Well, I have a, I have a question for you and it kind of ties in with how how we opened real talk but it is do you think that you would experience this movie differently if you if you had zero interest in baseball if you were just like someone like me <laughs> how much would that affect yeah how you walk away from this movie like do you enjoy it more because you get all the all the inside baseball <laughs> of it or do you enjoy I, it less because of it
0: definitely don't enjoy it less i find uh it's I just mentioned warrior a few minutes ago uh, that's a movie that the first time i saw it i really didn't like it because i was watching it as like an mma movie and then when i rewatched it and just watched it as a movie i was like oh this fucking rules it's just mm-hmm. the fight scenes are like ungodly ridiculous like <laughs> just absolutely preposterous <laughs> and super unrealistic <laughs> And sometimes, and in most cases in sports movies, that's the whole point. It's supposed to be amped up to 11, that type of thing. With this, uh, I enjoy having the prior knowledge. I think where it comes from is, one, we're doing this podcast, so I feel like it's my place to let people know that may think that, you know, because we have international listeners, too. So I wouldn't want them to think that baseball is still dictated by the system that Brad Pitt invented, you know? Uh, Right. And... So it's calling it out for that purpose. I truly believe my critiques of this film would be the exact same if I had zero knowledge of baseball. The things I brought up were more or less just discussion points. It, the the fudging of history does not uh, impact my enjoyment of the actual sports aspects of it. I think my critiques remain the same. I feel like Philip Seymour Hoffman's underutilized um, we learned a little bit about why it's cause that character, they just kind of needed in there, but didn't want to do much with. And then two, the shit with his family, I just feel is completely superfluous and actually hurts the film. Um, there are examples of what you're talking about that if I had less knowledge about something, I would enjoy more. Um, friend of the podcast, Reed Lansford told me like his dad's a huge queen fan. And when he watched Bohemian Rhapsody, he was just like, wrong, 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 wrong. (laughs) So there's definitely, you know, you can speak to things like that. I always kind of, the fighter, that was kind of the thing of like that movie the whole time. I was just like, Mickey Ward was a journeyman who was famous for just kind of having these brawls. Like he never was an elite level boxer by his... He's most famous for being the first boxer in history that had 10 losses to get a million dollar payday. So when I was watching that movie and it was, I know the point of it's like the drama of his family and everything, but that was an example of me not being able to take that out of it for myself. And Mickey Ward was a homely son of a bitch, man. He didn't look anything like Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) To answer your question, there's examples where what you're asking could be applicable. This is not necessarily one of them. My critiques of this come from places that are detached from the, based on a true story thing.
2: Yeah, and I think probably a sign that would point that way is the fact that many of our criticisms, I mean without having discussed it beforehand, like we were having the same problems (laughs) and my baseball experience is almost non-existent
0: We can go throw the ball around sometime, man (laughs) The windup and the 2-2 pitch Oh, no, sir, wait a minute. The banner is calling for time. Looks like he's going and getting himself a new bat. And now there's a beach ball on the field. And the ball boys are discussing which one of them's going to go get it. I never realized how boring this game is. All right, Julio. So I think we've exhausted a lot of our talking points on this. I think we've made it clear the the daughter, no disrespect to the actress or uh, her music and singing ability, which is much higher than mine is, it's uh, just an aspect of the movie that kind of takes us out of it. We enjoy Jonah Hill. Brad Pitt is awesome as always. There's just something comedic about seeing Brad Pitt just absolutely murder fuck a Twinkie in two bites, and <laughs> and you know this was um, this would have been our first real and arguably since as we discussed exposure to serious actor Chris Pratt. And uh, he's fine in it. He just has a, a bit part. Um, there's really not too much to go in further with him. So winding down after watching it last night, I hopped on Letterbox and I gave this three and a half stars, which I think with my letter grade assignments is going to fall in the B minus range. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acting's really good when this movie's on when it's firing on all cylinders, as the expression goes. It's great. And when it's focused and on point, it's on point. It just unfortunately gets distracted and kind of strays away from that a few times. And because of that, it takes me a while to get back into it. But I enjoy it. I own it on Blu-ray. And so that counts for something. <laughs> I, I don't just buy anything these days. Uh, so
2: That's how you watch it? You uh, Do you put in the Blu-ray?
0: No, I did not. I was over at uh my friend's place so we watched it on Netflix where it's available. So, that's what I she, did. She she does not have a a physical media player, which is uh endemic of our society right now and the problems at large.
2: It's an issue, my friend. It's
0: it's a <laughs> that is the pandemic, the removal of physical media <laughs> from this country. No, it was it was fine on Netflix, but yeah, still proudly have it as part of my collection. B minus is where I'm settling on this, Julio. Where uh, where are you finding yourself?
2: Um, I'm torn. I I, I want to say three and a half, and I probably will say three and a half. There is, I want to bump it to four because the, the we made the joke about like, oh my god, we're gonna rate it lower than semi pro, and that's gonna <laughs> end up being the case. But I, I I think that this movie Moneyball it it tackles. Meteor stuff it's like the the things I like are things I like because they're very complex in a way that you know semi-pro isn't but it also yeah. means that when it drops a ball it drops it harder <laughs> and and that yes. bothers me more so uh, I want to give it four stars because of Jonah Hill how much I like his performance but but no I think it's three and a half a very solid three and a half I mean it's like a, I absolutely recommend you watch this movie but be prepared to be let down by the ending and that is such a big problem when you don't when you don't stick the landing that can just retroactively not necessarily ruin the whole movie but definitely make it lesser
0: so Exactly. And this is one that's like a prime example. We've talked about movies before Terminator Three. You can have a kind of okay to bad movie, but if you have a fucking awesome ending, that can sometimes make up for it. And in a case like this, you can have a great movie, and if the ending is uh not quite you know sticking it, so to speak, then it's gonna make your overall thoughts on the movie fairly complicated. Yep. And that's what's happened here. And I would defend our praise of semi-pro for exactly the reason you said for using the same scale to judge it. The difference is semi-pro knew what it was and stuck within its lane. And then because of that, when it succeeded, its successes seemed even bigger. And this movie being like what it is within its confines, the critiques are different, but it can kind of, like we said, it distracts from the point at large. So I'm fine with it. I, I own both of them, so don't come at me saying I favor one over the other.
2: <laughs> Why choose when you can have them both? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Let's close with this, Alex. Which Moneyball character is more likely to say, "Let's get tropical?"
0: Ooh. Yeah, we don't only really get any fans that we just get some random shots of them.
2: I'm going to say it has to be the guy that gets uh that gets cut or traded. You know the, the guy that was dancing. He was someone else's. Uh, yeah, brother. Jeremy Giambi. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy Giambi. I think
0: I could see David Justice saying it very like condescendingly or sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, or um spike jones like brad <laughs> dude spike jones trying to talk sports is so funny like i know it's the his him acting but him trying to like remembers the players names and shit like he clearly does not watch it it's a it's a really good moment there but yeah or like just brad pitt like when they uh when they won the game when he's just listening to it like if that was the flint tropics in fourth place you know he turns off the tv and just let's get tropical
2: Bah I'm glad I'm glad with that settled we landed on several answers all right Alex there's a lot ahead of us my friend our next episode the bonus episode for March is on Priscilla Queen of the Desert demanded by Ryan this might be the, the Australian movie that finally gets us on this show additionally I guess that speaking of Ryan I Guested on uh, his Yum Yum podcast about... uh, Nice. It started as a Star Trek Discovery show, but right now they're covering Babylon 5. They invited me over to talk about another episode. We had a lot of fun there. Uh, Also, our friend and patron, Stu, from the Stu World Order, his show just uh, celebrated one year. And for the for the one year celebration, he invited me and a couple other uh, guys. He invited uh, John from Pinto Comics, and he invited Ken from the Ocho Duro Parley Hour. And we just basically talked about his first year because you know he just covered superhero movies. So we talked about our favorite uh, movies out of the ones that he's uh, that he's covered, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I was I went in, I put on my contrarian's hat. I actually it was a contrarian's helmet. I like fastened it to my head. And uh, went in with the hot takes because I figured that would be the most fun that we could do. You know, just go in and try to defend stuff like uh, X Men Apocalypse. And
0: you're on your own on that one, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I just figured people didn't really need me to go on praise Avengers Endgame again, so I wanted to go with something else that was that was a little less Fair talked enough. about. Uh, anyway, it was it was a good time. And then, of course, you know, the, the Pinto Comics episode about the Chuck Norris movie, The Octagon, it's uh, it's finally out. And uh, yeah, like we mentioned it a few episodes ago, but if you want to hear me be completely out of sorts with an 80s movie starring Chuck Norris, it, I mean, that's the place to do it. Just look up Pinto Comics. Uh, anyway, Alex, we're going back to Australia next episode Uh, i hope you're as excited as i am
0: i am i'm at this point starting to feel guilty uh and um unintentionally prejudiced against the films of australia (laughs) and i don't want that to be the case so i'm looking forward to covering some more ground and seeing what we can take away from it
2: all right well with all that being said i think it's time for you to take us away
0: Alright, as always, we start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
2: Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans roth he's the man behind our logo. You can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S or you can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com or you can visit his website, mildemonios.pe if you want to check out his work. Uh, He's a writer. He has a bunch of zombie novels, fantasy novels that you can uh, acquire if you can read in Spanish. Uh, He also has two podcasts, Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans is a very interesting person, very talented, and we thank his support every episode. Thank you, Hans.
0: And thank you to Miss Zoe Perez, who helps keep our social media game in line. If you are on Facebook, be sure to go to Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Give us a follow, like, subscribe. I always get confused about their verbiage. But on our Facebook, we have exclusive videos that preview upcoming episodes. Zoe helps put those together. And if you're on Instagram, be sure to follow us at Contrarian Prime. Zoe posts audio clips, still images, uh, interactive graphics, all kinds of cool stuff on there. Uh, And we greatly appreciate the work she does for us. And how professional she makes this shit look Because it would just Be Bad pixelated uh, Poor quality images if it was up to me I imagine She'd be like this looks good right there you go, <laughs> Zoe we appreciate the work you do for us And we appreciate you Our listening public Thank you so much for tuning in To this episode of The Contrarians Where we're right and you're wrong And we will catch you next time I'm really glad you're following So